1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for
0: tuning in to AOA. Today, we've got a lot coming on today's program. The commodity markets are still volatile. We're coming out of a weekend. We saw some rains, but might also see some more losses ahead. Darren Newsom, senior analyst at Bar Chart, will be joining us to bring us up to speed on what's moving in the markets. And in segment two, John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather, will join us to give us an outlook on what he's expecting to see from the skies later on this week. In segment three, we're going to check in with Denise Bouvrette, from Bear North America. She's on the team that's pioneering the short stature corn. And we're gonna have her give us an update on that bear program. And then finally, we're gonna end today thinking about fuel systems with Aaron Rogie of Cenex. Before we dive into all of that, however, let's take a look at this bull market back in play in the grains. Darren Newsom joins us today. And Darren, this trade seems the buyers are back in, even though we had some rain over this weekend. What's what's the psychology of the market here this Monday?
2: Yeah that's that's always a great question Mike what's the psychology of of a computer algorithm I don't know the answer to that uh, but you know it was fascinating to watch it open overnight I mean 6 cents higher in D's corn and immediately within an eye blink it was down 10 12 cents so yeah you know, to me yeah okay did did do, you know did did we see some rain across the midwest yes were the maps green for a while yes we did see that and if you're standing in the right spot you might have had an, a pretty decent rain but by and large, bottom line is it's not going to change the soil moisture situation at all. You know, as we start to study those maps and we start to compare them back to last week and last year, we're going to see that possibly the situation actually got worse uh, from, from Monday to Monday uh, because of the heat that was also involved over this last week. So, you know, I think it was it was nice. We saw some rain in some parts, but I just don't think it made that much difference. And as, you know, we moved past the initial... Uh, you know the initial weekend trade uh, on into later Sunday night through Monday morning I think it's how I think that's how the market reacted as well Darren
0: I'm curious with those algorithms coming back in and of course you're right they do not have a psychology but the people that program them do mm-hmm. and a lot of those are programmed to watch for headlines and later on mm-hmm. today we'll get the USDA Nas crop condition outlook <laughs> I know you don't put a lot of stock in NASA's numbers
2: but these algorithms do don't they unfortunately, you know, the evolution of this thing is, it seems like they're, they're, they're looking at them more, at least they, they've been, pl- the, the equations are taking them into account. It's foolish. Uh, You know, NAS doesn't go out and look at fields. Uh, it, basically, they just change a few numbers from the previous week and send them in on a Friday afternoon. Uh, it's one of the last things they do. And I've, I've talked to people at NAS. I know that's kind of the system that they do. Uh, so there's really no science behind these things yet. Unfortunately, they do seem to get plugged in. So, are, th- this raises a bigger question. Are, are these fundamental or non-fundamental numbers? I mean, everyone wants to talk about them as fundamental factors, and really they're not because you know, the commercial traders don't look at them at all, at least the ones I've ever visited with. But it is possible that the funds are trading them and they trade them for a short period of time because there's so much uh, more real information out there. Uh, but obviously they, they do trade them at points, uh, but I, I, you know, I don't think we can look at them as a fundamental factor these days.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense, Darren. And in light of all of this weather talk developing here in North America, we still have, as far as I'm aware, a big corn crop coming out mm-hmm. of Brazil. Darren, are they starting to get that shipped at all? Is it eating our export
2: business? Well, it's interesting. I know that they're shipping some corn, but we've actually seen the US business pick up ever so slightly. It's still gonna come up way short of, of expectations, way short of last year. Uh, you know, I've questioned, you know, how much supply the US actually has. Uh, to sell and to ship anyway. and I, I think, you know, the 2022 production along with previous years was was overstated. Uh, you know, maybe we see that in Friday's quarterly stocks. Maybe we don't. Again, I don't put a lot of weight on that. Uh, but, you know, we are seeing we are seeing Brazil do some shipments. U.S. isn't doing that much at this point. We'll get our first update uh, on the week for, with the weekly export inspection, uh, inspections coming out uh, later Monday morning. So, again i'm not looking for much Uh, i think brazil does have most of the business right now
0: all right darren thinking about the global perspective over the weekend we saw some headlines coming out of russia we saw reports of maybe an attempted coup that possibly Mm -hmm. turned out to just be a salary negotiation tactic how did the trade respond to that uncertainty? Is it giving it any concern at all?
2: You know, Mike, I wish we had an hour to talk about this because it was absolutely fascinating what we saw play out. As far as I'm concerned, looking at the markets this morning, I don't see any any real reaction. Had it played out differently, I think it would have. But, you know, it it was over so quickly. You know, the Wagner Group got within a few hundred kilometers of Moscow something that no other military force has been able to do throughout history and all of a sudden you know this whole thing comes to an end. Uh, as you said it was more of a it was more of a bargaining chip uh, payment uh, schedules and these sorts of things with a new contract set for to start on July 1st. so you know again we're talking about mercenaries and we're talking about a, a mob uh, leader in Putin so you know, really it was basically just once they worked that out everybody everything went back to normal.
0: Darren, it does kind of highlight still how uh, globally interconnected agriculture is Mm -hmm. just hypothetically. And of course, this didn't happen. Lord knows if it ever will happen. But if this coup thing had happened Mm -hmm. on a Wednesday with the wheat markets open, Mm -hmm. what could that have looked like? Just a straight skyrocket to the moon or what could have happened?
2: You know, it's it's, it's really possible that's exactly what could have happened. I mean, or would we have seen it plummet i mean just locked limit down because we'd seen non-commercial traders already covering they they covered 20,000 contracts of their net short futures position in chicago with before this happened so as of last tuesday and so they you know they we know they're comfortable being short and so all of a sudden if something happens in in russia and and you know the ukraine wheat is going to start making its way to the market again and fundamentally chicago is still bearish does does the chicago wheat market just absolutely collapse or because of the uncertainty and markets don't like uncertainty do non-commercial traders continue to cover and move back to a neutral position in the chicago wheat market it would have been it would have been incredible to watch play out
0: it would have been and folks it's just a reminder that things can move and they can move quickly in this massive global connected world Darren with wheat on our mind here wheat playing along with the corn and soy rally today how much more upside do you think we could see here in chicago
2: In the Chicago market, again, you know, they still were they were still holding not funds were still holding a net short of 60 some thousand contracts. So there's still room for them to cover. There's not a lot of fundamental reason to do it. Again, unless we think that the U.S. is finally going to see some export demand pickup. The biggest question is, I think we're really seeing in Kansas City the yield reports starting to come in where there just wasn't any wheat. We saw September posting a strong rally. And so it's possible Chicago starting to feed off of that a bit.
0: Lots to watch here as the week goes on. Darren, while we've got you, we're seeing the week start with a little bit of weakness here in the live and feeder cattle complex. Uh, Do you think we've uh, peaked in those two markets or is there more to come?
2: You know, I know you and I've talked about this and it's and, you know, there's these signs that the cash market and the box beef markets were getting a little bit top heavy as we approached the midpoint of summer. Uh, so there's a good chance that maybe they've topped out at least for now. Uh, I think some of the concerns that we've had about short supplies and all this, you know, have been built in, been priced in. I think the market got a little bit ahead of itself. And so it certainly seems to open the downside, at least short term, maybe intermediate term for both live and feeder cattle.
0: Anytime you see a market move up like that, you've got to be aware there's downside risk out there. Folks, we've been talking with Darren Newsom, senior analyst over at Bar Chart today. And Darren, as always, thanks for joining us on AOA.
2: Thanks for having me on again, Mike.
0: Folks, stick with us. We're going to dig into what's coming from a weather forecast perspective with John Baranek of DTN Meteorology here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What's your favorite talk show? Where do you hear music that transports you to another time? In an emergency, where do you turn for the most up-to-date information? Well, 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping the public safe in dangerous times. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why, and you could win $500. It's that easy. Visit whyilisten.com today. That's whyilisten.com.
3: There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com.
1: Welcome
0: back, ladies and gentlemen, you heard Darren Newsom there in segment one talking about the impact of the weather on this commodity market. We have been seeing it in effect for the past eight weeks and watching the trade this morning. It appears that weather is back on traders' minds, which means it's time to get an expert view of what could be coming. Joining us now is John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather. John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Mike.
0: You know, over this weekend, John, I was checking the radar quite a bit, like I'm sure a lot of other farmers were, and I saw lots of green and yellow storm systems covering the Midwest. But how much actual rain fell from those systems?
5: Yeah, we had widespread coverage across a lot of the the Corn Belt really over the weekend. But I think there's a lot of mixed feelings about what actually fell. I mean, some people are going to be real happy about, you know, what fell. Uh, those those areas are are really likely to be in the Northern Plains. Uh, Montana, the Dakotas, uh, even parts of northern Nebraska got some really good rainfall. Yeah, lots of areas there to kind of add up the the front that was stalled over there last week and the rains that happened over the weekend. There's widespread two-inch plus reports. And for for a week's worth of rain, that's that's almost a month's worth of rain in some some of these areas. So uh, it was pretty good out there. It was also pretty good in eastern Kentucky and Tennessee. We saw a lot of two-inch reports out of that um, over the last week, but you know, kind of in between. We saw a lot of variability. So a lot, a lot of areas saw you know around a half inch or more. Um, if you were in Minnesota, if you were in Iowa, if you were in northern Illinois, and if you were in parts of of Indiana, Missouri, and or I'm sorry, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. But uh, unfortunately, if you were in southeast Nebraska, if you were in Kansas, if you were in Missouri, if you were in most of Illinois there south of I-80 you didn't end up with too much or, or maybe got missed completely. So, um, there's a lot of mixed feelings out there really about how much rain fell. If it was, you know, yeah, it was some, but it didn't really do much. If you got, all right, I had some great rain or dang it, I got missed again. So, Uh, Just a lot of variability in the rainfall pattern.
0: That variability, John, that has been the watchword for the past six weeks when it comes to central U.S. weather. It's uh, potential for rain 10 days from now, and then it's like Lucy (laughs) with the football. It just kicks farther down. (laughs) Is that word still in play for your
5: forecast in the week ahead? Uh, Unfortunately, it is. Uh, And we were kind of expecting this to be kind of a variable weather pattern. We just didn't expect it to come on the heels of such dry conditions. You know, if we were having this kind of variability, I don't think we'd be too concerned about a whole lot of places. You know, some bases get rain now and some places get rain a week from now. But, you know, with so much of the country being dry, that's not really a a good place to be in for, for some of these folks that are on the receiving end of of not receiving anything. So, yep, this week is another one. Uh, we do have plenty of disturbances out there in the West and they'll be moving right through the corn belt here this week. So we've got more chances of rain um, really all week long. Just depends on where you are at. Um, you know, the next couple of days, we're more on the Western side of the corn belt later this week, they'll be on the Eastern side of the corn belt. That continues into through the weekend as well. So we've got chances. Um, it's just, again, are they going to hit the right spots? You know, uh, hopefully the spots that are got hit, you know, can still get a little bit of rain and those that didn't or missed out um, get some of that needed rainfall because some folks are, are really being concerned about it. And I, I, can, I can feel those concerns and I, I sympathize with them because it's really hard to see a lot of your neighbors or other parts of the country get plenty of rain and, and you just keep missing out. So um, hopefully we can kind of fill in some of these gaps here this week hopefully indeed
0: John this dryness is so concerning I pulled up the drought monitor which of course was released last Thursday I believe showing conditions from last Tuesday and John it it was worsening last week's was worse than the week prior but then of course we got those weekend weekend rains do you expect to see any improvement from these variable rains when we get the next drought monitor on the large scale
5: no Uh, I don't think we'll see much in terms of improvement a lot of the rain that fell was kind of more in line with what you'd expect for a a week's worth of rain, uh, outside of those heavier areas. I mentioned kind of in the Dakotas and kind of in Eastern Kentucky and and Tennessee. So everybody else in the middle that saw the rain saw kind of, you know, what you, what I might call kind of maintenance rain, what we'd kind of expect to see. So I don't see a a lot of areas that, that really got enough to kind of push them out or kind of ease conditions. So those, those rains are still going to be needed.
0: John, last week when a couple of the models were coming out Thursday, Friday, they were showing expected moisture rates and Illinois was sort of the hole in the donut. There was expected moisture all the way around them. Has that changed at all? Are you anticipating with this variability Illinois, Indiana, Ohio might see some rainfall?
5: Uh, They certainly could. Um, And models, again, still don't like um, really much Kansas, Missouri, or Southern Illinois with the rainfall here this week. But that doesn't mean it'll occur. Uh, they were kind of right about central Illinois uh, for the weekend system that kind of worked out uh, the way models thought. But, you know, again, uh, it's coming with a lot of of thunderstorms. And we're getting to that time of year where some models really do some weird things um, with thunderstorm clusters. Uh, The European model, um, for example, loves to do this, this uh, funny thing where it'll develop a, a nice complex of thunderstorms and move it south and southwest through uh, parts of the country, which that just doesn't happen. So, um, you know, if you look at just a straight model output of the next 10 days, next 15 days of, of rain, um, it could look a little bit different than what actually occurs.
0: All right. Yeah. Watching those models compute and calculate all of this data is fascinating, John. But one of the things that has protected some growers in that drought hit area has been a historically lower temperatures. As you look out temp wise over the Midwest and the Southern Plains over the next week to 10 days, does it continue to stay moderate or does the heat start to hit now that we're getting to July?
5: Well, it depends on where you are. If you're farther north, you're, you're in better shape. Uh, we did have some you know, heat last week uh, across the upper Midwest um, and really, uh, it built in across Missouri and Illinois over the weekend uh, before that system came through, um, so not everybody kind of escaped the, the heat out of it. Uh, but we are gonna we are gonna build up some heat again. Uh, Texas continues to be the hot spot with triple digits again this week, really all week long, and uh, really on Wednesday that starts to bump back up uh, northeast into areas around Missouri, so even eastern Kansas and, and southern Illinois. We'll find some um, some higher temperatures here come the later half of this week, we will get a front to come through and push that south again uh, this weekend. So it's only going to be a couple of days. But, you know, with how dry it is and temperatures approaching or exceeding 100 degrees, it's going to be quite stressful for those areas.
0: Now, certainly that is the case there, John, looking down a little farther to the south, of course, we've seen severe weather across the, the usual culprits here to Oklahoma, Texas, et cetera, severe weather outlook
5: for the deep southern plains. What are you thinking here in this next week? Yeah, so, I mean, we we did see some plenty of severe weather come through with that system over the weekend, too, and there's a lot of good uh, video coming out of a tornado that came uh, and, and, and really destroyed a town there in, in uh, central Indiana. But uh, we've we've got, you know, more systems moving through thunderstorms at summertime. We're going to we should expect more severe weather. Just uh, just just a, a thing that happens, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, we're looking really anywhere showers and thunderstorms move through as having a chance. Uh, not a lot of these are, are super organized, so it's going to come in small clusters and bands and stuff. Um, so nothing major is on my radar right now for, for what might be, uh, some significant severe weather, maybe later in the week over, uh, Nebraska, uh, into Northern Kansas might have uh, a potential for something a little bit stronger there. Um, and over the weekend, it might be further South and across the Ohio Valley, but we're going to have to kind of wait and see on that. A lot of things can change here over the next couple of days.
0: All right, John. While we've got you here on the line, you keep track of what is happening, well, not in other places than just the United States. I'm curious about our neighbor to the north. We heard a lot about Canadian wildfires here over the past couple of months. We've got this devastating drought across the central part of the U.S. What's the weather system look like across the Canadian plains? Are they grappling with the same dryness we are? To
5: a lesser extent. Uh, They've had a a better uh, storm track through them this this spring and early summer to give them at least some Uh, areas of some moderate to heavy rainfall there's some patchy dry areas and and areas that are still in drought across the region Um, southeastern Alberta is kind of uh, the the bigger spot right now that that uh, is dealing with dryness and and, uh, drought concerns there but for the most part we've had some decent rain across a lot of the region so things are looking pretty good Um, this week is is more of the kind of isolated stuff that that moves through Next week, they might have a larger system, but, you know, we're talking next week and models can't handle what's going to happen three days from now. So whether or not they get this system right uh, for next week is is up in the air. And, and really, we're going to have to watch that through the, us here in the U.S. too. What, what happens with that system next week up in Canada? So uh, Canadian prairies aren't doing too bad uh, and temperatures haven't been overly oppressive for them. Uh, so things are, are doing actually pretty, pretty OK, I would say, better than last year. Okay, well, that's good news for those growers
0: up there. John, real quick before we let you go, growing conditions in any place around the world, do you have any concerns?
5: Concerns are pretty limited. Um, You know, We see concerns popping up here and there every now and then, and then the conditions will reverse themselves and they end up okay. Uh, We had issues with Northern Europe getting dry for a while. They got some really good rain last week. They got some additional chances this week. Um, the Black Sea region has had some pretty consistent rainfall has been pretty good for them and even drier parts of China are getting some uh, rain and some cooler conditions at times too. So overall not too bad across the globe at this point. All right folks, watch those guys. That's
0: John Baranek meteorologist with DTN weather folks stick around. We'll talk short stature corn when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA
6: agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. Put a frog in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As a metaphor for us and all that we go through as veterans, it's a story that rings true. We learn to endure the heat in silence. We apply what we learn to life, the bills, the job, the family, things we're expected to handle with ease. When life heats up around us, we just try to stay afloat. We let the water boil. Reaching out isn't easy, but you've never been interested in easy. You join because you are not afraid of hard work. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait until the water boils. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council.
7: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Rizved with this market update. All three grains are higher this morning. Beans and wheat are leading the way, but corn is not too far behind. Wheat is getting some of its strength this morning after the Wagner group in Russia began a military coup this weekend and then marched towards Moscow. But once they were a few hours from the city, the leader agreed to leave for Belarus in exchange for charges being dropped against him. Now, the begin and end of that insurrection, combined with the apparent end of the Ukrainian grain deal next month, has been supportive of wheat prices lately. China has also been experiencing excessive rainfall in their wheat growing regions, which has also been another bullish factor. And funds were buyers of wheat last week by 29,296 contracts. That's reducing their net short positions to 84,134 contracts, and that's still a very short position. Now, soybeans are leading the charge higher this morning, along with both soybean meal and soy oil, due to worries about veg oil exports from Ukraine being closed off. And as soybean conditions worsen here in the U.S. and drive domestic prices higher, it's also had an effect on global markets, with Brazilian prices rising as well. India's oilseed exports are expected to grow by 10 to 15 percent this year as orders from Southeast Asia, Latin America, and Africa increase. And corn started the day off with July slightly higher, and deferred contracts are lower following some weekend rains. Now, this weekend, beneficial rains did fall in good portions of Iowa and Indiana, but only covered the northern part of Illinois. The seven-day forecast shows wide coverage over the corn belt, but those rains are slated to fall over the weekend again. Funds were net buyers of corn last week, increasing their net long positions by 56,000 contracts to 58,000 contracts. Regardless, though, demand still does remain a very real problem for corn and soybeans, with China's feed demand notably lower this year, although it's still a big consumer of corn and soy meal. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network.
3: I'm Richard Ristvet.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen.
0: AOA continues today, and we're going to turn our focus over to corn. We're going to turn our focus over to corn science and development and really areas that I find fascinating but don't have necessarily the knowledge base to compete in. Well, we've got an expert here to fill us in. The reason we're going to talk about short stature corn was about two weeks ago, the USDA issued a determination that the Bayer genetically modified short stature corn may be safely grown here in the US, cleared an important hurdle opens the door for some more. And I thought this would be a great time to check in with Bayer and see just what they're up to with their short stature corn program. Joining us today to fill us in is Denise Bouvret. She is the North American Smart Corn System lead. She's been uh, with Bayer for more than 13 years. She spent a lot of that time in R&D. And uh, she's also been working on the commercial part of the business, launching these new products. Denise, thank you so much for joining us on AOA today.
8: Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here.
0: Let's dive in at the biggest possible picture. Denise, what is short stature corn from Bayer's perspective? How are you guys defining it?
8: You know, Mike, I think the short stature corn is that next game-changing innovation for corn production. And the hybrids themselves are pretty cool in that they have a lot of inherent benefits, really around protection, so less lodging and green snap due to the stability of the shorter stature plant access being able to access that crop all season long with standard ground equipment to really have flexibility in how you manage that crop. And then yield potential, both through the optimization of that management of the crop and through the potential to push higher populations, even in standard uh, rows um, due to the stability of that plant. So less risk in pushing those populations and the ability to get more yield on every acre.
0: All right. So that's why we're working to bring the overall height of this crop down. And Denise, how tall would you like to see short corn be? What's the, the, the optimum?
8: Yeah. So we're, we're targeting between five and seven feet. So no taller than seven feet so that you can still get that flexible in season access with, with standard height, uh, clearance, uh, equipment, uh, but no shorter than five feet. Uh, cause we really want to keep that ear height at about 24 inches or higher to, to ensure a successful harvest.
0: So if I'm doing my math in my head correctly, realistically, we're, we're looking to bring one to two feet off the height of this corn plant, two to three feet?
8: Yeah, de- of course, depending upon the where it's grown, uh, you can assume about a third shorter of what you're, you're typically growing today is what you could expect with these shorter stature hybrids.
0: Okay. A a third shorter. And Denise, I'd like to talk about how Bayer is looking to get to these short stature corn hybrids. There are several different tracks. We we mentioned the GM track. Fill us in on that, if you would. And what other avenues are you pursuing?
8: Absolutely. So Bayer believes in this technology and truly thinks this is the next evolution of corn production. There are a lot of challenges our farmers face, and this particular crop addresses a lot of those challenges and helps farmers reduce their risk while also increasing opportunities to drive better yields so we are heavily investing in this space and we have been for more than a decade we have multiple technologies in our pipeline to get to a shorter stature hybrid the first to launch um, will be our breeding native trait uh, that doesn't require any regulatory approval so we're stacking that with our commercially available traits right now and bringing that to market starting now this summer with our groundbreaker pilot trials on about 30,000 acres with almost 300 farmers. Our biotech trait, or the GM trait that you mentioned at the beginning, is our next technology. And this was a great and important hurdle through our uh, regulatory process and, and continuing to get global approvals uh, for this trait as we bring that forward, expecting to bring that technology forward in the US late this decade. But then we also have a gene editing version that's further uh, upstream in our pipeline and the discovery. Um, early phase one, where we're looking at another technology um, to bring this forward. Uh, And all three of those technologies are really, you know, this breeding trait allows us to uh, get out to the market quickly, um, really set the stage uh, for this potential product concept in areas where GM is not necessarily uh, approved. This will be Um, a great trait uh, to bring forward uh, and and revolutionize corn production in those regions. For regions where the biotech um, we're able to penetrate, uh, that will replace um, that breeding trait. And and then we have an option with the gene editing uh, while global regulatory um, agencies have different uh, standards for regulating uh, gene edits versus GM. And so so we certainly are investing in this space because we believe it's the next evolution.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that is a fascinating roadmap, Denise, looking out. So really, you've got it available, as you mentioned, 30,000 acres this year on the conventional side. But it sounds as though we should expect to be hearing short stature corn hybrid announcements for the next 15 to 20 years coming from Bear with that roadmap in place.
8: Absolutely. And a continued expansion um, to different genetics and and diverse uh, genetics across maturities and really expanding into all of those areas where corn is grown.
0: All right. Well, let's talk, if we can, about one of a farmer's favorite things to discuss when we've got new crop technologies, Denise, which is yield. This conventional variety that's out there today, can you fill us in on what the yield expectations are for these 300-some growers that are getting that crop in the ground this year?
8: For sure. Well, our expectations for our short stature corn is that these products will yield very similarly to the products that farmers are planting today. Uh, but that, through uh, the management and and thinking about uh, the potential and the risk reduction of these particular uh, this particular product concept, growers will will get incremental yield over time as we continue to mature this whole system approach with the short tetra corn. And you think about that in a couple of ways. So you're reducing risk of yield loss due to lodging and green snap. Even those partial losses, uh, we all know about those devastating, you know, complete losses like the derecho storm of 2020. Um, I'm not going to tell you that the short stature corn is derecho proof. It isn't. Um, when, when trees and, and, and bins are folding and, and being uprooted, so does the short stature corn. But we do see an incredible resilience to wind with this technology, um, certainly up to 50 to 60 miles per hour and even at 75 miles per hour in some trials uh, where we see this inherent standability. So even in the absence of those uh, devastating storms, you're still getting that Protection from those partial yield losses and the down corn in, in parts of your field um, every year. You're also getting that opportunity to flexibly manage whatever the mother nature throws at you this year. So you've got flexible opportunities to get back into that field with equipment you've got in your shed um, to be able to manage that crop to get the yields that you're, you're looking for in that year. And that's a really powerful um, uh, capability of
9: this product concept.
0: You mentioned the inherent stability of this crop, and that's got me wondering if there are geographic regions of the u s. that that you're targeting. I think the Dakotas that grapple with wind all summer long. Are you seeing exceptional advances there, or is the plan try it everywhere and and see what where it goes?
8: We're certainly taking a targeted and focused approach right here in the in the heart of the corn belt, mid central midwest um, area to start. Um, because that's where we've got um, where our, our hybrids, the hybrids we have available right now have the best fit, um, but also because that's where we see uh, the most storms. Yes. so I think um, certainly that's the biggest, most obvious benefit um, of this crop and we want to bring relief to our farmers in those areas right now. Um, we'll continue to expand that out west um, as we as we generate um, um, hybrids that will have a good fit in those environments, um, as well as um, silage. you know we see some incredible, quality metrics with silage um, with these shorter stature hybrids that we're really excited about and some of our dairy farmers are super excited to try.
0: (laughs) That is interesting. We're chopping a lot less green material when you've got a five-foot stock versus a Mm nine-foot stock. And Denise, I've got to imagine in creating that five-foot stock, there's also going to be less need for water, less need for nitrogen. Is there a consistent input reduction uh, that comes when you go with a short statured variety?
8: We haven't seen that, Mike. Um, I think what we've seen is that the short-stature hybrids are similar to your tall varieties in a lot of ways, and that they still use nitrogen the same way. They still need nitrogen at the same times, um, and the same amount of nitrogen um, to be able to to deliver that yield. Uh, What you do see is we've seen a a very robust root phenotype um, with these hybrids, which uh, could indicate that they may have increased tolerance to stress, um, still more to come on that as we continue to evaluate more hybrids and more environments, but we're really impressed um, and we hypothesize that the, that, uh, those, that deeper exploration of the roots really is happening at the time when your tall varieties are putting that energy into elongating the stalk. And so that energy has to go somewhere. We think it's going into the roots and, and still more to come on on what benefits that could bring, but we're certainly keeping an eye on that as for accessibility to nutrients and the water table uh, that may give these plants an advantage.
0: All right, Denise. I'd like to bring it back down, back down to the ground level and availability. You mentioned conventional going out this year. You've got your 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 trial farmers underway. When do you expect it to be available through uh, through regional distribution? The conventionally grown uh, varieties.
8: Yeah. So we're still building that pipeline, um, as I mentioned. And so you know, think about this as a almost a new crop, building shorter varieties. Um, of our portfolio. So it will take some time for that portfolio to mature and be available in all of the trait packages and all of the maturities um, to get that out into our farmers. But right now we're taking very much a partnership approach with our distribution partners um, and with our farmers uh, to bring this forward with some of our top uh, top partners and our top farmers to really pressure test um, and and evaluate and characterize the system and, and get input from them to continue to shape what this system looks like and how we deliver that to, um, to our farmers. We anticipate to expect about a 2X footprint um, of materials, uh, of acres out in 2024 with these uh, targeted um, uh, partners and farmers. And then in 2025, we expect a broader scale launch.
0: All right, so it is coming down the pipe, it sounds like in the next year or two. Growers, if you're interested, you might have the chance to learn a little bit more, possibly see it in person. Denise, if we've got folks who want more information, where would you recommend they go to learn?
8: Best place to go is your Bayer rep first, um, or you can go to beartrades.com and look for smartcornsystem.com.
0: That's Denise Bouvrette, the North American Smart Corn Lead with Bayer. Denise, thank you so much for joining us today.
8: Thank you so much, Mike. Pleasure to
0: be here. Folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up in just a moment when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
10: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common?
1: In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to patriotic hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not.
7: Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit, commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math, is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about .04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now, that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
9: At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun. A world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer camp is where they begin. To unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org
11: for a better us.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: It is important to invest in the protection and performance of a premium diesel that can provide all year round. With the right fuel, you can ensure your equipment is operating in top condition no matter what month it is. With us today to talk about why farmers should use a premium diesel in their equipment all year is Aaron Rogie, Senior Product Manager with CHS. Aaron, tell us, what are some of the misconceptions about diesel fuel systems during milder times of the year?
9: Well, thanks for having me on today. Uh, There's a lot of misconceptions about diesel fuel systems during mild times of the year, but one of the biggest misconceptions is that farmers think premium diesel should only be used in extreme temperatures to mitigate seasonal risk. And a great question to ask really is, when does equipment performance and protection not matter. Um, And the answer really is is never. You always want that protection and that performance to be as maximized as possible. So the goal for farmers should be to maintain superior performance all year round. So their equipment is always running uh, at its best. And in order to do that, they really wanna think about choosing a quality premium diesel fuel, which can really make all the difference. Uh, Sinek Ruby Fieldmaster premium diesel fuel is specifically designed to provide that year round performance by helping engines run cleaner and more powerful regardless of the season.
0: Aaron, you mentioned the the drawbacks with using a standard. What are some of the risks associated with using a standard number two diesel?
9: Well, the risks are many, but let's talk about three of those main threats that are likely to occur on the farm and that Cinex Ruby Fieldmaster can help protect against uh, regardless of season. So the first, Mike, is temperature fluctuations. And really, when we talk about temperature, uh, it brings water into the equation and water becomes a primary issue as those temperatures fluctuate between day and night, below and above freezing. Uh, There's always a possibility that that water can then seep into bulk fields tanks which contaminates fuel and water contaminated fuel can damage equipment fuel filters and injectors and cause corrosion throughout your fuel lines water is just really enemy number one um, and it's created by those those temperature changes secondly dirt and debris along with improper tank maintenance dirty dusty conditions on the farm can heighten the risk Uh, for contaminants, uh, dirt, debris, mud, uh, to infiltrate your system. Given those extremely small tolerances of modern filters and fuel injectors and diesel engines, even the smallest contaminants can cause really big problems and jeopardize your fuel economy and power, and you would even be risking um, equipment downtime. And then finally, we really wanna talk about protecting uh, our fuel. Uh, Fuel is a significant investment for farmers and for our producers. So fuel breakdown is never something we want to experience. So throughout the summer, while crops are growing in the field or you know during the winter when that fuel is sitting in storage and equipment is sitting idle too, the fuel can become more susceptible to moisture, bacterial growth or other contaminants. So it's really crucial to not only protect your fuel investment to maintain that fuels integrity, but ensure that it is also Ready to go and can be used whenever it's needed. We all know time is of the essence when we're talking about agriculture.
0: So, Aaron, with all of that being said, what makes Senex Premium Diesel Fuel the better choice for farm equipment?
9: Oh wow. Um where do I begin? There's so many benefits to using a Cinex premium diesel fuel like Cinex Ruby Fieldmaster. So in newer equipment, let's start there. You should really ensure that it's operating at peak performance from the start. And it's critical to protect those costly fueling systems and emission systems to protect your investments. In comparison to our previous generation, the next generation of Cinex Ruby Fieldmaster has an advanced aggressive detergency package. It is just a rock star. It's 40% more effective at breaking down harmful engine deposits and two and a half times more effective at cleaning up and removing injector deposits. Uh, with those tight tolerances, high heat, and high pressure, in advanced systems, uh, again, the smallest of deposits can have a major impact, so cleanliness is super important. Additionally, the newly enhanced Cinex Premium Diesel achieves maximum filterability, uh, provides up to 75% less filter blocking than a typical number two diesel. It really allows your fuel to run its cleanest, its smoothest, and creates fuel efficiency, which obviously, you know, is, is always top of mind, and keeps filters clear of blockages. Now, kind of turning to the other end of the spectrum with older equipment, the focus is managing water and condensation that forms inside that system and shortens fuel filter life amid temperature fluctuations. So with the new uh, newly enhanced Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster, uh, we've incorporated a two-phase total water management system that helps completely manage water and equipment. So in that first phase of the two, a demulsifier separates most of the water from the fuel, so then gravity can pull it to the bottom of the tank for easy removal. And then the advanced aggressive detergency package that we just talked about takes on an additional role by encapsulating any of those remaining negligible water molecules for safe passage through the combustion chamber. I also wanna mention that with 20% improved biostability, Cinex Review Fieldmaster also extends fuel shelf life and helps maintain fuel longevity, especially in the presence of biofuels. So Cinex Premium Diesel really is designed to keep all ages of equipment running their absolute best. Finally, Cinex Review Fieldmaster is the best and only choice because we have the largest real life test facility. Given our expansive network and the volume that we provide to rural America annually, these fuels are uh, proven day in and day out across the country. And then terminal injection also gives our end users consistency of product to address the needs of customers with equipment in a wide range of equipment ages that terminal injection is key because it ensures that that additive uh, in our fuels is precision blended into the base fuel. And finally, we stand behind our premium diesel products with the Cenex Total Protection Plan Warranty Program, which is the best warranty in agriculture.
0: Erin, tell us, where can people go to learn more?
9: Well, first off, we always encourage folks to learn more about Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster Premium Diesel uh, and how it can benefit their operation by visiting cenex.com. And then your trusted representative, your trusted local Cenex dealer, is always available to help you discover more around all of our uh, premium products, including our Cenex Premium Diesel Fuels.
0: Folks, that's Aaron Rogie, Senior Product Manager with CHS. And Aaron, as always, thanks for sharing your passion with us here on the show.
9: <laughs> You're very welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me. And
0: folks, join us tomorrow right here for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Why do you listen?
6: You get the local news and the weather is up to date all the time.
11: Oh, I love sports. It's good to hear what's going on because you can't make it to all the games.
6: I listen from 8 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night. It moves with me. It's portable.
5: It goes with me. It's in my car. I can find my mood. I can flip through stations up and down, the dial. There's
9: always something that's talking to me.
1: Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com. Tell us why you listen and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today.
10: Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board.